Our topic tonight, out of the book of Haggai, chapter 2, Desire of All Nations. Starting in verse 1, In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, the Kohen Gadol, and the remnant of the people, saying, so now it doesn't give us the year when this took place, when, when God spoke to Hezekiah to speak to the people, but we already know the year because of chapter 1. So it's just a continuation. That was, I, think, I think that was in the second month. This is in the seventh month, so a few months later. And it's in the second year of the king of Darius. Now, just prior to this, the, uh, the people around Jerusalem had stopped the rebuilding of the temple and... So now we had several different kings, and so now Darius has now become the king of Persia. And so God is now giving a message during this time to Haggai. And back before that, Cyrus had let us leave Persia, let us go back to Jerusalem and start the rebuilding, and the building had started under the guidance of Zerubbabel and uh, Yeshua, son of Jehozadak. And, uh, and then it got that pause because, again, of the people in the land complaining. This is where the story picks up. And so now God speaks to Haggai to give another message to the people. Last week, and just, just a couple months before this, in, uh, in uh, Haggai's time, God gave a message to the people that they were storing up funds for themselves, building up their own homes, and not building the temple of the Lord. And so a rebuke came at that time. And so now God has a message to Haggai again. Verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your sight as nothing? And so this is so he's referring to people who lived back 70 years prior, who saw Solomon's temple before Babylon came in and destroyed it, and who still remember what it looked like. So they had to be like at least, what, 8, 9, 10 years old or so? And to remember for 70 years what it looked like? And these same people, when they laid the foundation, when they originally laid the foundation, after they came back from, from Babylon under Cyrus's decree, and they started the work, and they saw it, and they said, this is not going to be as big as Solomon's was. And while people were rejoicing at the dedication of the, of, the, of the foundation, here were these people mourning and looking at this and saying, this is, this is going to be nothing. And so now here again, they're still looking at this and it's comparing it with the former glory. And, you know, we can be easily tempted to do the same thing. We can think on our life, and it's easy to get depressed if we look at our life and we think of the former glory, you know, when we were young, right? If you're, if you're older than, than 30 or 40 years old, you can think back and say, boy, when I was 20, when I was in my strength, when I was in high school, I was, a, you know, this athlete or whatever, or this smart genius or, or whatever you were able to do, right? Or talented in whatever ability I could run, I could talk, you know, now you can't even see anymore, you know, and uh, hardly nothing's the same, right? And we can get back and we get discouraged as we think back of the former glory that we might have once had in our youth, more beautiful, more handsome, better memory, right? You know, all these different things, right? So, so easy to get discouraged. The Bible tells us that those who compare themselves with themselves and those who compare themselves with others are not wise. It's not a wise thing to do. 
Because Satan will get us to fall into either one or two traps. We'll compare ourselves with others and we'll either think, hey, I'm better than that person, and we'll get puffed up and proud, and of course that leads to a fall. Or we'll look at these other people that in some way, shape, or form we think they're better than us, or society says they're better than us, and then we get discouraged. And downhearted, well, I'm not as good as they are. But in the Lord's sight, we're all equal. In the Lord's sight, we're all the same. Right? We all have stinky armpits, right? We're all the same, right? All smells the same. Right? There's no different between us all. Right? We all eat, we all poop, right? We're all the same, right? That's how God created us. In God's sight. And one price was paid for us all. One price. Thus, we all have the same exact value. We're all valued the same in God's eyes. And our value is equal to him. Because that's the price that he paid. He paid himself for us. That makes us, in God's eyes, as valuable as the Messiah. And in God's eyes, that's very, very valuable. And so don't compare yourselves with others. Don't be looking at the past. Don't be looking at others. Be content in all things, right? Like, Rabbi Paul said, I've been rich, I've been poor, I've been this, I've been that, but I've learned that in all things to be content. Right? We can be content with what God's lot is for us today. And it might not be what it used to be, but we can learn by God's grace to be content. In the parable Yeshua told of of various different talents, money that, he, that the, this one uh, uh, owner gave to these people. He went on vacation, his servants gave five talents to one, three talents to another, one talent to another person. And the first two, they went and invested it and made more. And the other one, he just buried it in the sand. And well, it doesn't go into these details, but I imagine he was looking at the one who had five and said, well, he's got five. Yeah, certainly he can make a lot with five. I've only got this one. What can I do with one? I can't do much with one. And so I'll just give him back that one. We can easily fall into that same trap. Well, I don't have as much as others. I can't do as much as other people can do. She says, use what we have, and then he will add and grow and give more abilities onto that. We say, oh, if I was rich or if I had more money, I would, I would then start giving to the Lord, but I don't have that yet. I don't have like other people have. But again, with that holy person's message of Haggai chapter 1, we say that's not what God's plan is. Give faithfully. Work and do what is at hand now. And let God bless it. Let God use it. Moses said to God, oh, I can't talk. How, am I going to, how are you going to use me? Nothing is impossible with the Lord. It is God. It's not us. Hey, you know, if we think it's about us, well, then you're not going to be able to do much. You're not going to be able to do anything. That's what the Bible says. Without him, we can do nada, nothing, klum, nothing. Right? But through him, we can do all things. It's the power of the Lord. Not by our might, not by our strength, but by the glory of the Lord, by the Spirit of the Lord, that God is able to accomplish great things. Yeshua took three of his disciples up on, it became known as Mount of Transfiguration. That means he left nine down at the bottom. 
And a man brought his son to be delivered to the disciples, and they weren't able to deliver him. Yeshua told them later, because some only come out with fasting and prayer, revealing what they were not doing down at the bottom. They were not preparing their hearts and minds for what ministry does God have for us. And again, it doesn't go into all the details, but I'd imagine if they're like you and me, Satan was tempting them to think, how come we're stuck at the bottom of the mountain? How come Peter and James and John got to go up there? Doesn't Yeshua love me just as much? I'm a whole lot smarter than Peter. I'm a whole lot more talented than John. Better looking than James. What did he take those guys for? Why did he take me? Why you leave me down here? And in that discouragement of being down there and comparing themselves with something else, they weren't prepared and ready for the blessing that God wanted to use them in doing. We need to be ready all the time and not worry about other things. I think we're 12 disciples, but we could probably only, I don't know how good your memory is, but name only a few of them. But God picked all of them, and God used all of them for his honor and glory. And God knows their names. And God knows the 120 that came later, and the 3,000, and all the others that came. And he knows your name and my name. And whether anyone else knows your name or my name doesn't matter. Because it's not about you, and it's not about me, and it's not about some former glory, or dreaming about some future glory that's going to help us out. Just do with what you have at hand and be faithful in what you have at hand. Now, God wanted this temple to be more than nothing. God wanted it to be even grander than what he had Solomon build. And Solomon's was beautiful. But we read what the text says that God gave the blueprints to Ezekiel, the command to build on the level of the Ezekiel vision that God showed Ezekiel to make. God gave that to Ezekiel while we were still in Babylon. So that when we left Babylon, we'd be prepared, and if we were preparing and saying, oh, this is the blueprint God commanded us to do, well, we better start saving up money now while we're here in Babylon. Well, things are good and we're making good money here. Let's save up money. Let's start giving towards that. So when God gets us back to Jerusalem at the end of the 70 years that Jeremiah prophesied about and that Daniel's been speaking about, we'll be ready and ready to go. But obviously, they weren't. Because overnight things changed. The king of Babylon comes down literally in one night. And Cyrus steps on the scene. And fairly quickly says, go ahead, go build your temple. In fulfillment of the prophecy by Isaiah. And only very few went. With only limited resources. And so we didn't fulfill the command to build it on the scale that God had showed Ezekiel. And if we would have, the prince that is prophesied in that chapter would have come, the Messiah, the prince, and all history would have been different. But they didn't, 
and we're not. And so they built what they could with what they had. And they're still saying, in comparison with Solomon's, this thing is nothing. Well, that doesn't do much for the leaders. That doesn't do much for the encouragement. That doesn't do much for the people that did come. You know, maybe you've heard, if you don't have something good to say, then don't say something, anything at all, right? You're not going to get in there and pitch in and help and make it better. You know, it's so easy to criticize. When I was in college, I was working on their farm there, and we were working away, hoeing in the, and I was complaining about something in the school, wasn't as good as this, wasn't good as that. And uh, one of the guys who was working on the farm there too, he said, so I guess what you're saying is that if you were the president of this college, you would do things differently. I said, that's right, Ivan, I would do things a lot differently. But what did I know about being a president of a college? You, know, you get into that seat and all things are different. I said, you're just sitting there saying, oh, you know, it's not this, it's not that. Well, if it's not what it should be, then get in there and help make it better. You want it to be like Solomon's temple? You want it to be like Ezekiel's temple? Well, then pitch in and give some work and encourage others. And write back to Babylon and tell more people to come. And tell them to send their finances with them. Do something. Don't just sit there being negative. That's so easy. The devil can find anyone to do that. Why let him use us? Verse 4. Yet now, Haggai, says, yet now, from the Lord says, through Haggai, yet now, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, be strong, and be strong, Yeshua, the son of Jehoshadak, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Work. Get in there and work. Be strong. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about the naysayers. Don't worry about the negativity. Don't worry about the attacks. Get in there and work and keep working. Keep your eyes focused on the goal before you. Satan want us getting to the right hand and looking to this way or that way, worrying about our enemies, worrying about the little gnats, worrying about the little dogs nipping at our heels. Forget about them. Don't get discouraged, this problem, that problem. Oh, my knee, oh, my head, oh, my pocketbook, oh, this, oh, that, oh, my boss said this, and oh, so-and-so didn't look at me today, and so-and-so didn't say hi to me. Forget it. Work, be strong in the Lord, and move forward and do the work of the Lord. Don't expect everybody's going to get all excited about what God has you doing. Never going to happen. God himself came here, and they weren't all excited about what he was doing. Healing people, delivering people, preaching good news. You think everybody would be happy about that? And they're not going to be happy as God uses us either. But be strong anyway, because the Lord is with us. All the world won't be with us. Don't expect all the world to be with us. It wasn't the whole world that got on the, the ark with Noah. Barely got his family on there. Though no one else follows, I, I will follow. Follow the Lord. Work with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. By God's power, by God's grace. Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it as unto the Lord. 
working and serving God. So be strong where God hath planted you. Be strong in the work of the Lord, at school, at work, in your neighborhood, when you go shopping, in your home, with your family, here in the synagogue, working unto the Lord. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Yeshua. Be strong, all you people of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord, for the Lord is with you. He's with us. And when the Lord is with us, nothing else matters. And he's always with us. So never anything else matters. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. There's no failure as we work in the Lord. As we move on in strength and power with the Lord. God doesn't didn't come in here and say, to Zerubbabel, well, too bad more didn't come with you. Yeshua, too bad more didn't come with you. Too bad this little foundation you got is not what I had originally commanded you guys to do. Too bad it's not even on Solomon's grandeur. Well, just give up anyway. And go home. No. He says, you're doing all you can with all your might, with all your strength, with all your resources, with all the people, with whatever you have. And keep going. Work. Be strong. I am with you, says the Lord. Verse 5, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is a wonderful promise. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear for the present unless we forget how God has worked in the past. That's why he has us remember the Passover each year. This is over a thousand years after the Passover, and he's He's bringing that back. He could say, I brought you out of Babylon. He could talk about a lot of miracles that he did. But he said, remember, I brought you out of Egypt. When you were slaves and had no strength, could not do it on your own, I miraculously brought you out. I miraculously brought ten plagues. I miraculously parted the Red Sea. I miraculously gave you the manna. You could do nothing. You had nothing. And look at what God did. And it's the same today. We're stuck in bondage. We're stuck on this planet. The devil's the prince of this earth. It's horrible all around us. Tempted on all sides. No resources of our own. But God will do miraculous things. And he'll provide for all our needs according to his riches and glory. And just as he brought us out of Egypt, by an outstretched arm, he'll do the same today in our lives as we're strong in the Lord, moving by faith, trusting in him. Do not fear. Don't fear the future. What are your fears today? What have you been worried about this week? What has Satan been trying to discourage you with? Worried about your future? Worried about retirement? Worried about your health? Worried about your job? Worried about your kids? Worry about your parents, concerns for friends, worry World War III is going to come. What are you worried about? Do not fear. Trust in the Lord. He is with us. And he says, when you came out of the earth, so my spirit remains among you. It was there when he took us out of Egypt. 
It was there as we came and through, wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, even in disobedience. It was there when he parted the Jordan River and we walked through to the land of Canaan, the promised land, in obedience. He was there through the time of the judges. He was there. The Spirit was there. Through the time of the kings. He's even there during the time of the rebellion and Babylonian captivity. God's Spirit has remained. Regardless of what's going on this earth, God has not left this earth. He is with us. Trust in Him. Believe by faith. He will see us through. To the very end. No matter how dark this world gets. How many troubles there are in the world. He is faithful. He is consistent. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is with us. His spirit remains with us. And so if you're feeling distant from God, Guess who moved? It wasn't God. <laughs> right? And so you're feeling distant from him, then turn around and get back with him. And if you've never been with him, then run into his arms. He is here in this room with us tonight. We can experience his presence and his spirit. Verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord. That's a mouthful. It's a powerful promise. Let's take it apart. I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. The desire of all the goyim. Kol ha-goyim. All the nations. God's promise. I am with you, Zerubbabel. I am with you, Yeshua. I am with you, all of the tribes of Judah and of Israel. But also, I am the desire of all nations. His Spirit is with us. Even as Yeshua came seeking to save that which is lost among the house of Israel, even as he called 12 Jewish disciples, even as his spirit was poured out upon them and 3,000 Jewish people plus women and children were immersed in a day, even as the gospel then continued, 5,000, and every day people were being added to the congregation. And then Saul comes to the Lord and becomes Paul and takes the gospel to the Gentiles. The desire of all nations. 
That's an amazing statement to be written in Haggai's day. They don't even have the temple rebuilt yet. They don't even have a city. They don't have a capital. They don't even have a nation. A few people left Persia with, with Cyrus's permission to go and try and erect a little temple so they could have some worship services. And yet God is promising the desire of all the nations, of all the nations of the world, will be blessed because of your efforts. Because of what you're doing there, Zerubbabel, what you're doing there, Yeshua, son of Yehoshadak. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. And today, we see the fulfillment of that prophecy. There are believers on every continent. There's probably believers in every single nation of the world. Some in more than others. But the gospel is going forth. Most places of the world have heard Yeshua's name. And there are believers from every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every people, every language. That's a miracle. It's absolutely amazing. And these little beginnings in Haggai's time, and of course everything before it, but re-kicking it off in Haggai's time, one would come. That would be the desire of every nation. That took a lot of faith for Haggai to say it. But he believed the word of the Lord. And God wants us to use us even more so. Because it hasn't reached everywhere and there's still masses that haven't. And there's still a lot of dark areas that have not yet heard the good news of the gospel. And God wants to use us just as miraculously as he has in the past. Just as impossible as it was in Haggai's day to believe that. It's impossible today without the Lord's strength. There are huge areas that need to hear the Lord. And some of them are right in our own neighborhoods. Some of them are right in our own houses. Some real strongholds that need to be torn down. But he is, Yeshua the Messiah, is the desire of all nations. Whether they realize it or not, we might think we're desiring more money. We might think we desire more friends. We might think we desire better position in life. Bigger house, a boat, or whatever it is. Four-wheeler. Or spouse, or children. Whatever we think is our need. Our desire. It all pales in comparison with the real desire of the heart. And the real desire is Yeshua the Messiah. The one who came. The one who died for our sins. The one who's able to deliver us from sin. The one who's able to set us free from the bondage of Egypt, the bondage of Babylon, the bondage of sin, the bondage of habits, the bondage of confusion, the bondage of fears, the bondage of anger, the bondage of bitterness and revenge, of loneliness and despair and depression. He's our real desire. Because in him we have real acceptance. In him we have real value. 
In Him we have real worth. In Him we have real riches. In Him we have eternal life. In Him we have real joy. In the presence of the Lord. And if you haven't yet desired Him, if you haven't yet yearned after Him, you don't know what you're missing. Till you surrender all and turn to him with all your heart and accept him as your Lord and Savior. And then everything's different. Everything looks different. Everything becomes different as our needs are met in him. Our desires are met in him. And everything becomes little in comparison to him. When we have him, we can be joyful, as Paul wrote, from a dungeon prison, getting ready to be beheaded. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That doesn't come naturally. That's miraculous. That's what comes from coming in contact with the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. This temple, this little temple, when Solomon's temple was dedicated in an eight-day ceremony with much fanfare and people gathered around and rejoicing, the glory of the Lord descended upon it. It was manifested there. The Shekinah glory showed. And everyone knew the glory was there, was seen, it was felt, it was heard. When Moses dedicated the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord was present. The fire by day, the fire by night and cloud by day, the glory of the Lord was there. Powerful manifestation. Elijah, praying on Mount Carmel, the glory of the Lord came down and the fire consumed the offering and the water and the stones. The glory of the Lord. And here they are. They laid the foundation. They had a dedication. And the Bible doesn't mention any visible sign of glory being revealed. Here they are with Darius giving them a second command second edict, to go ahead and build and, well, finance it. And still no visible sign of God's glory coming down. That doesn't mean it wasn't there. We don't always see it. We don't always feel it. Don't wait for feelings. Don't wait till you're feeling happy to rejoice in the Lord. Don't wait till all the problems go away, because they're never all going to go away on this earth. Believe by faith. He promises, I will fill this temple with glory. Believe it, Zerubbabel. Believe it, Yeshua. I'll fill his temple with glory. Because he promised, I am there. My spirit has remained with you. And if God's spirit is there, then God's glory is there. And God's glory wants to abide in this temple, Congregation of the Lord. 
and each of us individually as temples of the Lord. And together as fit stones building up the tabernacle of the Lord. I will fill this temple, your temple. God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. He will fill you with his glory. There might not be some visible sign. There might not be some manifestation. But we can believe by faith if we asked for it. If we've confessed our sins and repented of them by God's grace and made room for the Holy Spirit to come in and invited him to come in, his glory is there. People said to Peter as he preached and said that they had crucified the Son of Glory, the Messiah. They said, what must we do to be saved? He said, be immersed, repent, and be immersed in the name of the Lord. And you'll receive forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. Two conditions and two promises. Repent and be immersed, and you'll receive forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. If you've met those two conditions... If you've repented of your sins and been immersed, and not just the immersion underwater, that's important, but also the daily immersion after that, the daily dying to self, the daily dying to sin, the daily resurrected in newness of life, then we have the assurance that we have been forgiven, whether you feel better or not, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Believe that by faith. This is what it means to believe. He said, I have the forgiveness of sins. He died for me. The sins have already been paid for. I've confessed them, repented of them. I've been forgiven. He's promised me the Holy Spirit. I've accepted my death in him. So I accept the power of the Holy Spirit. The glory of the Lord is upon us. And if you've met the two conditions and have walked away without the two promises, and turn around and say, God, I forgot my promises. <laughs> I claim the power of the Holy Spirit. I claim the forgiveness of sins. The glory of the Lord will fill this temple. And God started the work, 3,000 immersed and again and all that. And I believe he's going to finish the work with even more glory than he started the work. We'll see that many and more Jewish people come to the Lord. We'll see that many more and more Gentiles come to the Lord. The gospel will go to all the world. God's glory will shine. Now, just as there was opposition then and persecution then, there will be also the, in these last days as well, and more so. The devil will go around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, knowing his time is short. So both forces will be pouring out Everything. The devil trying in all his best, but God will do even better. And pour out his spirit in rich glory. We need to make our hearts open and receptive to receive it. But fill me and use me for your honor and your glory. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. I guess the rubble might have been thinking about that, and so God had Haggai remind him, yeah, I know you don't have enough. I know it's not all you need. I know there's no way there enough to make the command I gave to Ezekiel. 
but don't worry. All the silver is mine, and all the gold is mine. Be strong in the Lord, and keep on working for him. Keep on moving forward by God's grace. And so if you're lacking silver, you're lacking gold, trust in the Lord. He will provide for all your needs according to his riches in glory. And he's got a lot of riches in glory. He's got all of heaven at his disposal. Nothing is impossible for him. He can get the Egyptians to give us their silver and their gold as we leave Egypt. He can have a bird bring you bread. He can provide water out of a rock. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. Trust in him. Have no fear. Stop worrying. Trust in him. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. Now maybe Zerubbabel started laughing at that or Haggai when, when God impressed him to say that. You don't really mean that. Okay, you got all the silver and gold, got that part. Yeah, your glory is going to be here. Yeah, I got that part. Yeah, Jews and Gentiles are going to come together. I got that part. But greater than Solomon's temple? Yes. The little tabernacle they were able to make. The little temple they were able to make. Yeshua came to that temple. Now Herod decorated it more and became known as Herod's temple, but it's the same building, the same foundation. Yeshua came to that. And thus, as Yeshua said, even one greater than Solomon is here among you. And when we have Yeshua in our heart, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no greater glory than that. And that's what we need. Yeshua walked. He came. On the eighth day, he was circumcised in that temple. Just before he was killed, just outside the temple, he walked inside that temple and ministered to Jews and to Gentiles. Greeks came to him on those last days. And he ministered to all. And his glory was revealed there. He turned the tables and the money changers upside down. And his glory remained. In his last day, again, in his last days, the glory of this latter temple, the temple of the Lord, the people of the Lord, coming together as one in the Lord, with Yeshua as the chief cornerstone, and each of us fit stones together, united together as one in him. The glory of the latter will be greater than the former. And God can use us here, even at this little group here. Look at what he did with 11. 11 disciples took the gospel to the then known world, with then Paul coming on afterwards, and the others that joined him. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. 
minister where we are, make ourselves open and receptive to his spirit, let him fill us, minister outside, and let God spread it. Pray and look for opportunities to let God's glory shine out of us. And in this place, I will give peace. And in Jerusalem, the angels came and the angels sang, glory to God in the highest, peace and goodwill on earth. Right? Something like that? Is that how it goes? And some have said, well, where's the peace? There hasn't been that much peace. The Romans came a few years after that and destroyed the whole temple. There's been wars ever since. Where's this peace and goodwill? In this world, you'll have troubles. Yeshua didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. Parent will be against child and child against parent and Sibling against sibling. But the peace is in the temple. The peace comes inside. As we invite Yeshua inside, the peace dwells within. And we can have a peace that passes understanding. If you don't have it, you can't understand it. If you have it, you can't explain it. There's a peace there, regardless of the troubles. As Paul went to the execution and have his head cut off, he had peace. As Yeshua was killed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He had peace. Martyrs being burned at the stake, singing hymns to God. He had peace within. Peace in the heart, peace in the soul, peace in the mind. Regardless what's going on in the world, the whole world can be falling apart, the whole world can be following the beast. We can have peace. That's the peace that he gives. Not world peace. The world will go to pieces. But God will give us peace. Because the glory will come in greater power in this temple, in these last days. Because the desire of all the nations, of all the ages, of all time, is with us, and walks with us, and abides with us, and his spirit is with us, and his deliverance is with us, and he'll see us through, and he'll provide for all our needs, financially, spiritually, Emotionally, socially, he'll meet all our needs as we surrender each need to him. And we'll have peace. And we'll never be without. Amen. As we trust in him. And so as we prepare to pray tonight, If you're desiring that greater glory and willing to fill you with that greater glory to be his temple to be used by him in a moment when we pray let him prepare your heart and mind fill you with that glory
realizing that Babylon's going to attack the temple and try and tear it down. But be of good cheer. The Lord is with you. Secondly, if there's something in your heart, something you're going through right now, maybe there's some fear in your life, surrender it to the Lord. Give it over to him. Let him forgive you through the sacrifice of the Messiah. Let him wash it out of your life. And let him fill you with his forgiveness and faith in spite of the trial. If you're needing silver, you're needing gold, you're needing some means to continue the work of the Lord that God's called you to in your ministry, in the ministry together here, and that's been your concern, in a moment when we pray, surrender that at his feet, lay it down before him. Say, Lord, I claim your promise, all the silver and all the gold is yours. Provide for the needs of your work, for your children, and move us forward by faith. If you've been comparing yourself with your past, if you're discouraged that you can't do what you used to do, if you're discouraged, you're not doing what you always dreamed you could do and would do. If you're comparing yourself with others, Satan's using that to discourage you and dishearten you, surrender that to the Lord. And stop worrying about everybody else. You know the last words that Yeshua said to Peter, written, last written words that we have of Yeshua saying to Peter? Anyone know what it was? Is finished? No. That's it. That's right. They were on the beach. She asked him three times, Do you love me? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And then they went for a little walk along the beach to see Galilee. And as they're walking along, she would tell Peter how he's going to die. And Peter looks around, he sees John following. John always wanted to be by Yeshua, couldn't stand to be away from him, following close behind. And Peter looks over, always worried about John and others. Right, yeah, I might die this way, but what about John? And Yeshua's last words, don't worry about John. Don't worry about everybody else. You keep your eyes on me. And so if you've been comparing yourself with others, comparing yourself with your past, comparing yourself with what might be in the future, and you're not in the today, Stop looking at everything else and keep your eyes on the Lord and be strong in the Lord and work for him. And if you don't have peace in your heart, if you're lonely, discouraged, upset, angry, bitter, revengeful, dissatisfied, In a moment when we pray, surrender that to the Lord and claim the promise that he will give you his peace. His peace will abide in your temple. And let him fill you with his peace. If you haven't come to him yet as the desire of all nations, if you haven't come to him yet as your desire, as your Messiah, as your Lord and Savior, in a moment when we pray, invite him into your heart and accept him by faith.
Don't wait for some powerful manifestation. Don't wait for some miracle. Don't wait for the sea to part. Put your feet in the water and start walking forward. And be strong in the Lord and in your might, in his might. And serve him and walk with him. If any of those areas apply to you, or maybe some other area God's been speaking to your heart and mind about, let him meet your need. Let him do his work in you. Let's pray together. Our Lord, our God, King of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We're thankful, Lord, for your love for Zerubbabel and, and Yeshua and the people that you called out. Thank for the message from Haggai. Thank you for the promises and we claim them in our lives as well. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you're right here with us. Thank you you're sitting right with us. Thank you you're going to leave here with us and go with us. Open doors before us. Thank you for calling us to your great work. Use us in building up the temple of the Lord. Unite us together in you. Hold us fast together in you. Don't let Satan or Babylon tear us down or separate us. Unite us in you. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.